listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of the Savior Community Church in Rockland County, New York. To learn more, go to SaviorCC.com. seems lately I'm having a hard time letting go of things. So even though we completed our Easter series, I just couldn't resist one more closer to Jesus' message. So, uh, so we're, we're, this, this church is so crazy, we're still celebrating Easter. We can't even let go of it. So <laughs> I think today will be the last closer to Jesus. I said last week's was, but uh, I, I just had one, one more message in this series, Closer to Jesus. And so you know, the, the nature of our series, we've been talking about, uh, uh, and, and this one takes a little bit of a different turn. We've been talking about certain aspects of Jesus' identity that that calls us, that leads us to want to be closer to Jesus and to draw closer to Jesus. And so we talked about Jesus, my God, and how God uh, did everything in sending his son to make us his, his own. We talked about Jesus, my brother, my king. We talked about all the things Jesus did as our king to serve us. Jesus, our priest and sacrifice, that he, as priest, offered his own life to be our sacrifice. And then last Sunday, Easter Sunday, we talked about being closer to Jesus, our risen hope. And we said a few things that uh, we're really going to pick up off of this week. We said, my risen hope is an eager, gracious embracer of sinful people. That Jesus, Jesus doesn't just allow sinners to come to him. Jesus is eager and gracious to embrace sinners. That's why he came. He also said, my risen hope is a resurrected new creation maker. That's what he does in, in defeating sin and death. That leads to our recreation. Like just this morning in our, our start program class in the gospel class, we spent uh, some considerable time talking about how the actions of Christ on the cross uh, make it possible for us to be new through faith in Jesus Christ. That this isn't just something that God decided to do one day out of the kindness of his heart, but rather God had a detailed plan. Uh, by which he would redeem us, set us free from our sin, and allow us to have the life that he designed human beings to have through faith in Jesus. And we said, my risen hope knows what real regular people are like. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. But here's the thing, and this is what made me want to add uh, one, one more message to our Easter series, and that's this. The biblical accounts don't end with resurrection, at least not most of them, in, in talking about the Gospels. They don't just end with an account of the resurrection. In several places, they end with orders and commissioning. And so after the resurrection, that leads to a place where Jesus sits his disciples down and says, this is what I want you to do now that I'm resurrected, now that I've accomplished my mission, now that all of that is done and finished, is maybe the word Jesus would use, here's what I want you to do with this message, here's what I want you to do as newly formed uh, people. Examples of this, we have Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 18. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so uh, that, that's known as the, the Great Commission, the last few verses of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus really sets up in very clear language what the mission of his church would be in the world, which in turn teaches us what the local church is, what we are. We're a, we're a, a little piece of the larger universal body of Christ. 
And so it shows us what we would do. We would make disciples. And uh, we, we, actually, we learned this in, in our, our START program class this morning as well, that there's really only one command in the Great Commission. It's to make disciples. All of the other words describe the disciple-making process. We go into the world as missionaries. We baptize people who put their faith in Jesus in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means we're bringing them into the body of Christ. We're calling them to acknowledge that they've died and risen again in Jesus. We're calling them to acknowledge their union with Jesus and with his people. And he says, in teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. And so we're, we're bringing instruction and helping people see how the gospel doesn't just plug in as part of their lives, but as a whole new operating system that determines the very nature of what a, a God-glorifying life on earth looks like. So when, when we come to Christ, in some ways, you know, uh, we have our personality, we have the great things about our, ourselves and bad things, we have our jobs and the things that we do, and some, some things don't, don't appear to change. In another way, when Christ comes into our lives, it changes everything. Because it transforms the, the underlying assumptions, hopes, dreams uh, 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 that, that really make us who we are. And so it's transformational. Now, we have those orders, and, and today's message is closer to Jesus, and it's a little different. Resurrection orders. That's what today's called. <laughs> okay? But here's the thing. Since this series is about being closer to Jesus, I want to look at a more personal moment in the Gospels, particularly in the life of Peter, and you know the one I'm talking about, where his orders came directly from Jesus with cutting but healing words. And we see in this passage, in this interaction that, that Jesus has with Peter, and we're going to look at some other things in this passage as well. We see in this interaction that Jesus has with Peter, on the one hand, Jesus is restoring him and giving him this extremely important role in ministry in the early church. On the other hand, he's breaking his heart, right? And here's the thing, he does them both at the same time. <laughs> Only Jesus could do that, right? He comes to Peter and, and, and just breaks his heart and fixes his heart all at once, like a doctor who says, like, well, I know your, your, uh, your arm healed, but it's all messed up. Let me get my hammer, right? Like, <laughs> like this is going to hurt, but it's for the best, you know, otherwise you have all crooked all the time, right? It, it's, it's, it's for the best, uh, and yet it's going to hurt in the moment. And so what I want to look at, and, and here's, here's how, how I want to relate this to our lives. And, and we see that this is a, one of those moments where I suspect God will speak to people in a lot of different ways. Because <laughs> we're, we're, we're looking at, at one of those interactions where I'm not Peter, you're not Peter. None of us can come up with anything in our lives that looks exactly like what Peter went through. None, and probably none of us can come up with anything as bad as what Peter did, if you really think about it and put it in context. And yet, we can all relate to the need to be healed and rebuilt in order to serve Jesus the way that he's called us to serve him. And so I, I want you to be thinking about that today. If you had an encounter with Jesus by the water, if he showed up while you decided that you were going fishing, what would it look like? What would the conversation be? And there's a few parameters there, because don't, we don't want to put words into Jesus' mouth, but there are some things we can learn about the way that Jesus works. And some of those, to, to put it in those parameters, we know that Jesus would affirm that he has a call and a plan and a purpose for our lives. 
but he would also go right to that moment where we were betraying him. He'd go right to that place where we were, we were letting him down. <laughs> he'd, he'd open that wound so that he could reset it and heal it right this time. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm eager to see what God does in our hearts this morning. So about, and this is really not the resurrection orders, it's really about how uh, God does it. So uh, let's look at this together. John chapter 21, definitely have your Bible open, or you can go to SaviorCC.com, go to the live page, and follow along with the notes there. We're going to have all of the scriptures are printed out there for you, and all of our sermon points are printed out there for you. And uh, I find, I don't know if it's, it's not just John's gospel, but especially John's gospel, I just find the way that things are put together are kind of funny in this passage. <laughs> There's there certain things that just come out and that just have a sort of drama to them. So I know we just read it, but I want to read it again. Verse 1, after this, Jesus, and let's pause, after, after what? Well, after Jesus had already appeared to the disciples and made it clear that he rose from the dead. After, back in chapter 20, Thomas came to him and said in verse 25, unless I see the, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. And then Jesus says, this isn't in the text we're looking at, eight days later his disciples were together. Verse 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And so, we have this moment in this gospel where not only the disciples' faith in Jesus as the risen Lord has been uh, 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 restored and solidified, but they've come to the place where they're openly acknowledging with clear terms that they believe Jesus is not just Jesus a prophet or Jesus the saint or Jesus the whatever, but he's Jesus my God. And this is something when Thomas openly refers to Jesus as God, and Jesus doesn't correct him. In fact, Jesus affirms it. Look at what Jesus says in response. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. That's his answer. He's not only affirming that Thomas has referred to him as my God, but he's uh, doubling down on it and saying, even better, people who hear this story and believe it without seeing me and touching me, uh, there, there's an even greater blessing for them. And why did John write that? Because he knew that we'd be sitting here reading it, and we would want to know, is my faith in a Jesus that I've never personally, physically met and touched as uh, blessed and as important as those who knew him? Or does John and Peter, do those guys have a, sort of a super... Uh, position of righteousness before God, where their relationship is superior to all the relationships that would follow. No, John, in his later years in life, the Apostle John writing this many years after the events, wants everyone to know that even though they didn't know Jesus personally, and maybe they didn't even know any of the apostles personally, or people who knew the apostles who knew the apostles, he wanted everyone to know that if you hear these words and believe the truth that's contained in them, that your faith is just as valid and valuable as those who saw him pop out of the tomb. Well, nobody saw him pop out of the tomb, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we saw him afterwards, right? I, I once read uh, an objection. I thought this was the funniest thing. Uh, 
and by funny, I mean really stupid. The guy was saying, when Thomas says, my Lord, my God, that he was saying like, oh my God, like we do, right? <laughs> he was saying that a first century religious Jew said, oh my God, the way we say, oh my God. I mean, that's just, and this guy was a scholar trying to explain that the disciples didn't really believe that Jesus was God. That's a guy that should be beaten with his own PhD. <laughs> when it, and when I say beaten with a PhD, I mean in the frame. Not out of not the frame. That's just, you know, I mean like really like, I'm sorry, did I go too far? <laughs> Cast iron frame. So, sorry, I'm sorry. sorry. I went too far. That, that's me talking, not Jesus. Jesus is nicer than I am. That's why he had to die for my sins. But, but I mean, that's just a really silly thing to say. What we're seeing in this text is that Jesus' own disciples, while he was still walking the earth, acknowledged him as God the Son. They acknowledged him in his full deity and glory. And of course, that's a theme that we see throughout John's gospel, that he wants us to understand who Jesus is, that, that he's, he's not just the greatest among the prophets. He's not some special angel. He's God the Son through whom all things came to be. And so that's where we pick up chapter 21. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. One other thing. John actually seems to end his book after the encounter with Thomas. He has this thing. If chapter 21 was on another page and you read chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, and didn't know about 21, you'd think you finished the book. It's like the, um, the Marvel movies where the credits go, right? But if you wait long enough, like, Thor's going to come out again and say something that's important. You know, and like, if you just sit there long enough. I remember we went to see one of the, uh, the I guess it was the, event, the second Avengers movie. And like, my kids, there was, there was not even a thought that we were leaving until the credits rolled and we saw the secret hidden scene after the credits. So this is, uh, this is the important life skills you need to teach your children. All right? If it's a Marvel movie, if it's in the superhero series, you don't leave until the after credits, okay? So there you see, this is not just, it's not just theology, it's parenting advice, okay? But what we have in John's gospel is a scene after the credits. That's what's so intriguing to me about this passage. Because chapter 20, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Done. Go home. But for the people who wait around, it says, after Jesus. You have this scene that doesn't seem to relate to the whole of the story. In fact, it, it relates very strongly to John the author and to the apostle Peter. And so you have this moment, and one of the things that's so intriguing, we're going to see it come up in verse, verse 3, we get this, this scene that shows us something happening between Jesus' return and between what happens in the book of Acts. We get this slice of life between the resurrection and the ascension that I'm not sure you really see as clearly anywhere else. You'll see what I mean in a second. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others, the disciples, were together. They're hanging out. Okay? And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And, and listen, and they said to him, we'll, we'll go with you. Then they went out to get into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, let, let's pause there. Um, this passage has, has brought up a line of questioning. 
And people have answered this in different ways. Some people have, have come to the conclusion that Peter is disheartened and discouraged and disillusioned so much so that he actually just goes back to his old job instead of toughing it out and continuing in ministry. And even though Jesus has come back, he's kind of like, he doesn't know what, what to do. And I, I'm not sure that it says all of that. But, nor, you know who we're not seeing here? We're not seeing Acts chapter 2 Peter either, are we? Or Acts chapter 3 and 4 Peter. We don't see a group of guys who are taking the world by storm with the gospel. They know Jesus is resurrected in John chapter 20. Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. And you, you, get, you get the sense, and you know, reading into it a little bit, fair enough. But I at least get the sense that you have guys who, they're not really clear on what they're doing yet. And the text is very, that translation is great, you know, because they don't make it sound spiritual at all or official or anything. And if you read it in Greek, he just says, I'm going fishing. That's it. And, and sure enough, they translate that way, I am going fishing. And they're like, yeah, we'll come with you. Right? Like, this is, this is about as every day as it gets. You got guys who are fishermen, they're sitting around like, forget this, man. I'm going fishing. Let's go fishing. We'll, we'll go fishing. They all get in their truck and they go fishing. And so you do get this image of here's a bunch of guys who are about to be some of the most important people in history and they really have nothing better to do with their time. He's just going to go do his job. He's going to get some fish. He's going to sell some fish. And he does that. Now, was fishing a sign of some confusion or discouragement? I think that's a little hard. But we're not seeing Peter who preaches and thousands of people come to Jesus. We're not seeing Peter who stands up against the people who just murdered his friend a few weeks ago, like we see in Acts chapter 3 and 4. We're not seeing Peter organizing a world movement that is going to literally change history. Uh, we're just seeing a, a, a guy who's going fishing. And so uh, let, me, let me say this, and we'll get more into it. Here's my first point for today. Ready? God plans for you. God, I'm sorry, that's written wrong. It should say God's plans. God's plans for you include plans to prepare you. Prepare you or repair you. And so remember, our series is closer to Jesus. We're not just looking at the Great Commission. We're looking at the fact that we have this Great Commission, but here's broken me, not sure what to even do with my life because I need Jesus to come in and set me right. And one thing's real clear, you keep reading through this passage, that Peter is a guy who needs to hear a word from Jesus in order to be restored because of what? Because the same stuff everybody has, things in his past that are still a factor in the way that he views his place in the world. Is that unusual? That sounds like everybody I've ever met in my whole life. <laughs> things in my past that are still a factor in my present, that shade the way that I view myself, that shade the way that I view myself in relationship to God, that shade the way that I view myself in relationship to the call of God in my life. It's such a, and this is what I love about the Bible. The more you dig into it, the more just normal, gritty life comes out of it. The more you see it. Here's Peter, this guy. I mean, you know, if, if we think Peter's great, you know, Others go even more crazy with Peter. <laughs> like his job's a permanent job. It's, it's, he's an important figure. And at this point, he's, just, he's still just a guy fishing. 
And, and why is that? Well, let's keep reading and then we'll see some stuff. Just as day was breaking, verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Uh, which is weird. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said, Cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. Uh, what, it doesn't, what it doesn't say here is how annoyed or weirded out or like, why would you listen to this guy? Right? Except that things like this have happened to them before and it worked out before. Right? Annoying guy on the shore butts in and Right? Well, actually, no, I think Jesus was actually in the boat the last time they did this. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, a little too much information, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net of fish, for they were not far from the land. And, and uh, you keep going. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to come and just have... None, now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Uh, by the way, one of the, the, the sort of side notes of this, one of John's purposes, he was, he was uh, constantly throughout his writings sort of attacking from, from the side this idea that Jesus was just sort of a ghostly figure who came into the world. He wasn't fully man. He, di he, didn't, he didn't become one of us to take our sin upon himself. He only, he only seemed to become one of us. This was an ancient heresy that was certainly budding by the time that, that John wrote this gospel. And, and John combats this in every way. From the first page, he says Jesus took on flesh and became flesh and all this kind of thing. And here he has Jesus eating breakfast with them. And there's an important spiritual point in there. Jesus didn't come into the world to save uh, our ghost, right? Didn't come into the world so that one day our disembodied spirits could be in a very nice disembodied spirit container called heaven. He, he came fully one of us into a physical world so that he could save the physical world, bring about redemption and new creation. And if you follow the line of the Bible through, yes, it says if today you die, you go to be with the Lord. And it gives us very little description of what that's like, except that we would be in his presence. But if you follow the storyline of the Bible all the way through, what we have is a new heavens and a new earth. Resurrected believers living in a very physical new world. We see evidence of that right here. Jesus comes on the beach. He eats breakfast with them. It's real. His new life with them is not, is, is not first off considered in visions and dreams of faraway places. It's a new life that they're going to live right here on earth. And so uh, uh, Jesus sits down with them and actually has breakfast. And here's where we get to the second. So, so God's plan for you, God's plans for you includes plans to prepare you and maybe to repair you. So here's the thing, because Jesus is resurrected, there's a great commission and a call in our lives. It's a call to serve him. It's a call, in our church we summarize it, love God, live community, be servants. 
that a robust Christian life, it can, it can look a lot of different ways, but there are going to be three qualities that, that we should see and develop in the life of every believer, that we love God with all of our hearts, that we live out Christian community, that is that we are always actively, deliberately, even when we don't want to be, we're developing Christian relationships for our upbuilding and the upbuilding and, and, and motivation of, and uh, encouragement of other believers. And then there's serving, that is serving the cause of the gospel in the world in a multitude of varied ways getting our hands dirty and serving the cause of the gospel and the mission of Christ's church in the world. But here's the thing. Peter, who's going to lead the charge, he's got, he's got the commission. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. But even he needs to have an encounter with Jesus that leads to his own preparation and reparation. If, is that right? Repairing. <laughs> he needs to be repaired. He needs to be fixed. He needs to be healed. He's got the call, but he needs to have this encounter with God where he can be freshly restored. That leads us to our second thing. God's plan for you. God's plans for you. I can't read my own points today. I don't know why. God's plans for you uh, take you, take you, see it's big. Where are my points, man? They're not there? Really? That's so weird. I made the slide, though. I didn't make the points, though. That's so weird. All right, well, they're in your notes on the thing. God's plans for you take you, and it's all caps, you, into consideration. Meaning you in the particulars of your life and what's going on in uh, your world. Let's look at, uh, and, and this, by the way, this is a great illustration of our third point from last Sunday, my risen hope knows what real regular people are like. If you're a Christian, then God has a call on your life. You say, wait a minute, God never told me that I have a, a, a call to be a missionary or a preacher or an evangelist or anything like that. No, if you're a Christian, that great commission has been given to you. There's a call to a way of life. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And there's a call to be on board for a mission which Jesus has given to his church, the great commission. And so as a disciple, by definition, you have a call in your life. And so God's plans for you. Now, what that looks like specifically is going to change from person to person like anything else. And God's plans for you take you into consideration. Let's look at verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. This is an obvious reference to his call of uh, apostolic pastoral work. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's pause there. This passage has been uh, slaughtered by many a Bible teacher over the years. I'll tell you why. Um, many people, it's one of, the, one of those things that uh, if you don't, uh, all kinds of people know, all kinds of people who don't know Greek know that there are multiple words for love in Greek, right? That's something that's like very commonly known that there are four different kinds of love, 
right? You have the agape love, you have the brotherly love, you have the erotic love. You, you have these different words for love in Greek. This passage, Jesus and Peter go back and forth between two words for love. And so many people over the years have taken this passage and have overemphasized the use of the two different words and have sort of forced this, this like complicated interpretation in the passage. Like, does he really fully unconditionally love Jesus or is it just sort of an affectionate brotherly love and they go back with all of this kind of stuff? Let me tell you a secret. In John's gospel, he uses those two different kinds of, uh, two different words for love synonymously. He just uses the word love. Right? And so when Peter and Jesus are talking here, and, and I say this because maybe one or two or ten of you have heard this interpretation over the years, that there's some, something happening sort of below the water here that you can't see in Greek, and that explains the whole passage. It's just not, I just don't think that's a, a workable interpretation. Jesus really is, just the way you read it in English, he's saying, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know, I love you. And then he says it again, and Peter's, you know, I love you. And then he says it a third time. And Peter's grieved. What, what's happening here? We have to stop and, and sort of say, you know, there's, there's nothing in the passage that tells us exactly what's happening here. And yet we're reading a sort of mini novel about the life of Jesus, right? And we're, we're, the author's expecting that we've been following the story and that we know what's going on in the lives of the characters. And if we go back just a few chapters, we find out this same guy, Peter, who was the most vocal supporter, he was ready to, he, he had Jesus back. And I mean the way guys have each other's back. I got your back, Jesus. I'll tell you, I'll never do that. Like that's how he was talking a few chapters ago. And Jesus looks at him and says, man, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. How many times does he say you're going to deny me? Three times. And so, and what does Peter do? He gets confronted, and he denies Jesus three times. And here we have Jesus, he's eating, he's eating supper with him. And you just got to imagine, listen, Jesus comes to, to the world, and we always say he, he became one of us, he took on human flesh, he's one with us. But then we imagine that he's this dead-faced ghost character like we see in TV. And like, he doesn't really care what Peter did, because he's God. And like, where does that follow? What you're seeing in this passage is a brutal, loving confrontation. Jesus, the friend and brother, not little brother from another mother, but the brother of Peter from another mother, is sitting down to breakfast with his friend, and it's, it's just about time to get this whole church thing started. But Jesus has been personally, brutally betrayed by Peter. And what does he do? He doesn't just say, you love me, right, bro? Come on, let's hug it out. He says, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Second time, you love me? Yeah, I love you. Third time, you love me? <laughs> Third time, just, just putting his finger right on his sin. Putting his finger right on that moment where he didn't love Jesus enough to stick his neck out for him. And all at once... Jesus calls him on it and clears him of it. He, he, he calls him on it and qualifies Peter to do this job that he's called him to do. He's given Peter, and I, think about this now. You know, I'm thinking of two things. I'm thinking of here's Jesus. He's been betrayed by Peter. 
And here's Jesus, our Redeemer. He gives Peter, where Peter turned his back on Jesus, denied him three times while he's off, he's away a little bit. Jesus gives him an opportunity right face to face to express his love for him three times. Could there be a more beautiful, complete healing? And yet, at the same time, Peter, Peter, once that third request comes, Peter's just cut to his heart. And yet here he gets his opportunity where, where it was off to the side and sort of behind Jesus' back, he denies him three times. Jesus who restores, Jesus who loves us so personally, gives him an opportunity to declare his love three times. And with that comes this incredible call to lead the early church, which Peter does uh, wonderfully for many years. God's plans for you take you into consideration. And so here's the thing. We're going to, I have one more point, uh, which we'll look at, which are helpful, which is helpful. I want you to start considering this now, though. Uh, what, what would your breakfast with Jesus look like? <laughs> Where are you right now? Maybe everything's cleared for you. I don't want you to, I don't want you for the sake of some sort of emotional uh, impact to come up with something wrong that ain't wrong. There's no need to do that, right? If, there, if you've dealt with your past and it's gone, don't you dare bring it up today just so you have something to pray about when we close our eyes in a few minutes. But uh, if there's still that shadow of your sin and betrayal from the past, uh, it'd be a wonderful day to, to, to see how Jesus deals with it. Uh, G- Jesus gives an opportunity to bring healing like no one else. Here's our third and final point. This won't take very long. God's plan for you is for you. The second time I used all caps, but I didn't put it in the points. So, His plan for you is for you. One of the most helpful things, if you really do want to serve God with your life, you want to be involved in serving His people and, and uh, living a life of ministry as all Christians are called to live, uh, John 21, 22 is extremely important for you. Must be taken seriously or you'll be tripped up your whole life. Let's look at it. Now let's look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. For one who, uh, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is, it, who is it that is going to betray you? So he's saying it's John. He's talking about John. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, uh, what about this man? Now, Jesus had just said, we didn't read it again, but you'll remember, he says to Peter, you're going to stretch out your arms and they're going to clothe you. And he's talking about the fact that Peter would experience this uh, uh, crucifixion in his death, something that had happened by the time John's gospel was published. Okay, And so John is going back and saying, essentially, Jesus predicted exactly the way that Peter would die. And there's there's all kinds of church church tradition about the way that Peter died uh, that's out there uh, that matches fine with this. And uh, so... Jesus tells that to Peter, and Peter does what every single preacher has ever done, <laughs> which is to say, Lord, you said something horrible is going to happen to me. What about that guy? <laughs> At least comfort me by telling me something horrible is going to happen to him, too. It's only fair, you know. Uh, or, or, you know, if you're going to give something bad to me, you're going to give something bad to him, right? Because he's the worst. Because right? they know each other. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? This guy, 22, Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In Greek, it says, Peter, shut up. 
No, it doesn't. No, I made that up. But that's what he's kind of, he's, I mean, he literally, look at these. He literally says, what is that to you? Sounds like you're like old Italian uncle or something. What's that? What's that? What's it to you? Who asked you? It's none of your business what I do with him. And, and John actually addresses it. John lived so long that by the time he's writing this, there's like a legend that he's going to live until, forever until Jesus comes. And he says, Jesus didn't say that. He was just shutting Peter up. You know, like it was not a big... He did, that's actually, if you, if you continue to read, he says, the, say, the saying spread abroad, the brother, uh, abroad, the brothers that the disciple would, was not to die. He says, there's people who think John's not going to die because of this. And he brings out, he's saying, Jesus was just saying, what's it to you? And here's, here's the, these two sayings to Jesus, uh, of Jesus to Peter, that we need to plug into our minds as we consider serving God in the world. The first one is this. Whatever blessings, prosperity, touch of God happens in the life of his other servants, what's that to you? And the, the implied answer is, it's, it's nothing. To, it means nothing. It's none of your business. You don't need to know anything about it. You don't need to question it. You don't, God isn't required to answer you about it. So is that, what are we saying? Let's, let's put it real plain. You're going to die a torturous death, Peter. If that other guy lives thousands of years, that's not, you're not going to get an answer. It's none of your business what he gets and what you get. So, okay, well, Jesus, so what am I supposed to do? Follow me. That's the, that's the only instruction you're going to receive. Follow him. For Peter, it's follow him to your death. For John, it's follow him into a ripe old age, which is John died at a very old age. Both servants of Jesus, both preaching the gospel, both taking risks, very different experience in life. One has a brutal, excruciating death, literally, dies on a cross, from which we get the word excruciating. And the other serves Jesus and lives a very, very long time as many disciples and, and all of that. And Jesus' answer is, you, you don't know what it's going to feel like, what you're going to experience, what prosperity you may, may or may not have during that journey, um, but your call is to follow him. And what it looks like for you to follow him, there won't be, there won't be massive ethical differences. We're all called to obey the same word of God. But there will at times be massive experience differences. One serves the Lord and prospers and life goes well. Another serves the Lord and is martyred. I mean, that's literally what happened in this case. And a million different degrees in between. The word of Jesus to all of us is, everybody, he does, he does what he does for his own reasons. What's it to you? Follow me. Could we... Uh, 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 stand in prayer and have our band come back. Thanks for listening. We would love for you to join us for worship this Sunday in New City, New York. For details, go to SaviorCC.com. Woo!